0: How we take in content in our personal lives is really changing how we take in content in our professional lives. And so what does this mean? This is the Netflix effect.
1: The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights
2: from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Alicia Esposito, Senior Content Strategist for Demand Gen Report, and I'm bringing back a session from the vaults. This is from our 2018 B2B Marketing Exchange conference, and the topic, The Netflix Effect. This has been a topic that has had a pretty significant impact on the B2B marketing space and it has significantly evolved, I think, since the session first took place. But a lot of the takeaways from the panel, which features Mark Bornstein Von 24, Nick Mann of Red Hat, and Lisa Kenny, um, formerly of Black bod, She's now a single digits. Um, a lot of the content remains uh, very relevant, I think, in the minds of demand gen practitioners and content marketers. Because the reality is, we all love a good binging session, right? We all love to sit and enjoy as much or as little content as we want at a given time. Usually tend to lean more towards more content, right? Um, So as marketers, we're starting to think about how can we create these seamless and most of all relevant experiences that mirror what we experience on Netflix. So during this conversation, you'll hear a lot about whether the Netflix effect is actually real, and I think we all can agree it is very much real in the B2B world, Um, how uh, the audiences of the panelists, um, how their target markets have changed, their needs and expectations, and I think most interestingly, how they're adapting their approach to campaigns and content experiences to um, better serve their customers, so content is easier to discover, consume, and share. So in the spirit of the Netflix experience, why don't you sit back, grab a snack, and enjoy.
0: Uh, welcome everybody, and uh, we're, we're excited to be a part of this panel. Um, my name is Mark Bornstein, i the VP of Content Marketing at On24. If you don't know On24, I think most of you do, we're a webinar marketing platform. Uh, Today, we are talking about this thing that you're starting to see creeping up at conferences all around, the Netflix effect, what does it mean? Um, I think what we're really talking about is the modern buyer. We keep hearing about this person, this mythic person, the modern self-educated buyer, Uh, they they don't want to talk to our salespeople anymore. Uh, There's, you know, they're taking in content as they see fit, they're taking in content on their own time, in their own way. Uh, There's no buying cycle, right? The first marketing touch they may have with you may be your demo. The second marketing touch may be a piece of thought leadership content, we don't know. Um, And mobility is changing content consumption. There are new digital technologies that are coming out every day that are literally transforming how we create content, how we deliver content, and now How we take in content in our personal lives is really changing how we take in content in our professional lives. Uh, And so what does this mean? This is the Netflix effect. What does this mean to us as marketers? Um, this is what we're going to try to uncover today. Um, my esteemed panelists, I have Lisa Kenny. She is the she has many titles, but I want to get <laughs> she, her self-proclaimed title is the marketing campaign architect at Blackbot. I'll ask her to explain what that <laughs> means. I don't know. Uh, and Nick Mann is the uh, marketing manager at Red Hat. So I, I thought really quickly, I'd start by having you guys just briefly uh, introduce your what does your company do so we understand what what you're all about. What is your role, and then maybe what is your Favorite show to binge on right now? Oh,
1: okay. So we'll start with you, Lisa. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Lisa Kenny. I am. I'm actually a senior demand generation marketing manager at Blackbod. Um, I work for their arts and cultural division. Blackbod is the leading provider of nonprofit solutions that are changing social good. And I have over ten years in B two B and B two C marketing experience. Um, and I am born and raised in New Hampshire. And
0: what show are you binging on?
1: Oh, the shows I'm binging on. Uh, well, I mean, I, got, I love Stranger Things, and I, I, deep, deep down, I love Fuller House, too. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the what?
1: Fuller House.
3: I don't want to know, do I? No, OK. <laughs> Nick. Uh, Nick Mann. Um, I work at uh, Red Hat, as we were saying, marketing manager there. I've been at Red Hat for about five years. And um, my you know, leading role there is um, running the online event program. So our webinars, virtual events, and then a lot of the data and tracking that goes into our events in whole because I'm sitting on the events team Um, in general. um, So Red Hat is the leading open source provider. You might've heard of us for our Linux, um, but we have a whole portfolio stack out there. Shows right now. I just got back into Narcos, so I am uh, first Love season. So actually, I just finished up the last season. Incredible. Okay, yeah. Violent Narcos, but incredible. Everybody. That's a that's yeah. a really
0: good show. Um, I will say that right now, my guilty pleasure is the Great British Baking Show. Which... <laughs> you guys like that show? Like seriously, it it, it really refreshes my faith in humanity. Um, like It's it's just you know the first reality show where people are being nice to each other. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I'm, I'm not familiar <laughs> with that concept. Uh, all right, so let's get into it. The Netflix effect. I think the first thing we need to sort of discuss is, is this real, yeah. or should we let these people go back to another <laughs> session? Um, what does the Netflix mean uh, to you guys right now?
1: Yeah, do you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, obviously, it's binge-worthy content experiences, and I think it's leveraging data to give the next recommendation, and also to develop new content, which is why we love Netflix originals. So in in, in a nutshell, that's kind of how I see it.
3: Yeah, and I see it as the the Netflix effect is instant gratification, right? I mean, you're able to get exactly what you want when you want it. I I read a recent article, actually, that I think by the year 2030, 40% of people in America actually won't even have cable, Um, and I think that's a... The trend that we're seeing. So the idea of the Netflix effect is give the people what they want it when they want it, Um, and I I get, I think at a higher level, that's basically where. Yeah, I I, I agree. I I think for me,
0: I think it's the the Netflix effect is about impatience. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we in our personal lives are just we come to expect the content we want when we want it, and so that is like we said in the opening, it's sort of spilling out into our professional you know world. And I think people are tired of having to hunt for the content that they need. Right. Uh, you know, I think buyers, they don't want to be marketed anymore. We all know that. Uh, they, but they, what they want is they want help. And helping is selling. And, and we are not making it easy for people to find content. We're not doing a good enough job of creating content experiences where they're getting what they need, not what we want to tell them. Uh, and so I, I think that we need to address this element of impatience. Um, we need to be able to do a better job of, uh, of making sure that when people find us, they're getting what they need as quickly and easily as possible. And if you think about the infrastructure that we built in the way in which we deliver our content, we're not really built for that. Uh, marketing hasn't changed much. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys said. So let's talk about this buyer for a moment. You guys are in totally different... Uh, fields, okay. so you've got really distinctive buyers. What maybe you could share with us? How do you see your audiences changing? What have you noticed in the last year or so in terms of what's going on with your audiences?
1: Yeah, so obviously personalization is huge. And I think for my market, I'm in the arts and cultural division, so aquariums, gardens, museums, zoos, performing arts and cultural foundations. They all work differently. They use similar software, but the personas within those markets are different. Um, So content needs to be developed according to whether they're a garden or an aquarium. You can't talk to them the same. So then I usually take a level deeper um, of the different buyer personas because we sell software for your entire operation. So your marketer is using one software, your, your fundraiser is using another software, your accountant. They all work together, but yeah, I need to make sure that each one of them sees value in their solution and then seeing the total solution connected. Um, so then the next thing that I love to do is take it a, a step deeper as to like what exactly are you engaging with and what are you exactly interested in. So I do have tools out there um, like a content experience like Uberflip where it allows me to organize my content appropriately so the navigation is super important and so people can find what they need but then Leveraging data, like um, some AI tools that are built in, to do recommendations based on their actual interests.
0: So, did, did you bring in content aggregation because you saw a change, or oh, sorry. is yeah. it anticipating the change?
1: Um, well, I knew I I knew they it wasn't resonating. Like we were just sending the same message to everyone. So we knew we needed to segment our market and make sure that we're being a little bit more strategic. So, um, so it, it has been very effective. In fact, you know, they appreciate the fact that I'm just not lumping them all in together. Um, and they, they get that personalization, that thought leadership that resonates with them. Right. So Nick, it's Nick, what, what
0: changes do you
3: see? Thought. Yeah, so um, we sell software. So, I mean, our target audience, especially on the webinar side and in the online events, I mean, it's it's technical people, right? I mean, these are developers and engineers. They're coming on for one reason, and, and that's really to learn something. You know, we don't want these marketing fluff webinars. We don't want a sales pitch. You know, they're coming on to learn something that they can bring back to their daily life to help them, you know, Shorter run times, you know, fix a problem that they're seeing within their current stack, um, or maybe even they just found out they they purchased Red Hat software and now they have to go in and actually figure out how to implement that on their their stack. So. I think ours is, you know, I think they are starting to appreciate the idea of just getting in, getting out, you know, quick, short, exactly what they need, and then building from there. So they're,
0: they're, they want to spend less time with you? Less time. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a scary thought. <laughs> uh, all right, so as we begin to talk about content binging, um, I think one of the things that's not discussed enough uh, when, it, when it comes to this idea of creating content experiences is the fact that I, I don't know that all content is created equal anymore. And so if we're expecting people to binge on our content uh, you know, is is does does the content change? Do we need to you know do we need to uh, uh, you know focus on different types of content if we're expecting people to binge? What is what are the implications of that?
1: Yeah, I don't think con- one size fits all does not work anymore. So um, people digest content differently. Some people want to read. Some people want to watch a video. Some people want to engage. I think most people want to watch a video and engage yeah. with something interactive. Um, so repurposing content, I think, is. Re- really a, a- a big point is, you know, people want to digest the content the way that they want to. So doing a big honker white paper without an abridged version, without a webinar experience to dive deeper, people want to digest it differently. They might digest everything, but they might want to just take bits and pieces. And so you need to make sure that you're conforming to that and that, you know, not everybody is the same and you need to make sure that your content is good in all different formats.
3: Yeah, I think Lisa nailed it. I think, you know, videos and and webinars and infographics, those are the quick hitters, right? Those are so easy to digest. But when we get into the 15, 20 page, um, you know, deep dive, technical deep dives, you know, some people like to read white papers, personally, I do not, right? I'd rather watch a quick video on it. Um, But I think it comes down to there's certain points when it it, it all makes sense to be linked together. I mean, if you're a decision maker and all of a sudden you're tasked with, you know, deciding whether or not to onboard a new technology, you need all these assets brought together, right? I mean, you need the, the high level webinar that might just talk about like the cost savings within this technology, but then the technical deep dive on how to actually take this technology and put it on your existing stack. Um, and then maybe customer case stories about customers of similar sizes. So I think, decision makers, that's a huge piece of these folks that want all of this. And then, obviously, talking to sales reps about- So you're,
0: you're seeing different content, you're creating different content types for different personas because you think certain personas right. want different- a lot of per- Do the decision makers mark.
3: want longer form content or shorter yeah. form content? Probably, uh, I think it's a little bit of both, it depends. Yeah. I think some of the you know the technical decision makers, they want the long, long insights yeah. into what's going on where, I mean, a CIO probably isn't gonna be reading all that, yeah. right, so. You have the only audience that still wants the long form content. I, <laughs> yeah, I think we might, yeah. yeah, we might. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, for, I mean, for me, I think, uh, I think that you could see a profound change taking place. So, so our audience is all these people, we market to marketers. right? Um, and I think that we are all, as marketers, we're so locked into creating content in the same way. We've been doing the same thing for such a long time. Like, you know, we all have the white paper. We all have the case studies. The case studies are the same exact thing, the little one or two pager. Here's the, the company, here's the description, here's the problem they have, here's how they use our technology, here's the amazing <laughs> results they got in the quote. Uh, and uh, and I, don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure that people really want to buy into our formats anymore. Um, so let's bring you guys a show of hands. How many of you have read an entire white paper in the last six months? Oh. Not bad, wow. <laughs> but not a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I asked the same poll in, in, in a session yesterday, and like, nobody answered, so nobody raised their hand. Um, I, I, don't, I think long-form content is, uh, you know, is, is okay in certain situations, but I ultimately think that people want to get to whatever it is they need to learn quicker. They want it to be more engaging, um, and then also, I think in the—and you guys can, you know, weigh in or not, but I think that as we move to this Netflix model of content binging, there needs to be a certain element of entertainment as well, right? right. right. People want content to be engaging. They want, to, they want to interact with it, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, actually, there's not— the, for the hand raisers out there who want white papers, what's great about content experiences is I could tag you. I know you're a white paper person, so I could market to you with the white papers. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I know. So, <laughs> so you know you're you're not lost, but you know would I spend that much time on a white paper? Absolutely not. Um, sorry, I just wanted to. Well, yeah, no, a, a, but a back if you
0: think about it, like <laughs> here's the thing: we, we as we're delivering content, that's static content, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody if somebody downloads your white paper, what do you learn from them? You got your reg data. Mm-hmm. Um, you can learn whether they downloaded it or not.
1: Maybe how far uh, they went into And
0: it. maybe if it's a flipbook or yeah. something you can see how far they went, but really you don't know like did they did they what were their responses? Mm-hmm. Did they like it? Did they yeah. you know did they did they are they a good potential customer or not? Yeah. We have no way of knowing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I really love, you know, we started doing in our market. Um, we have a solution called Altru, it's our ticketing solution that consolidates fundraising and marketing and um, you know, uh, um, merchandising and et cetera. Um, so we were to these long demos and. That's all fine and Danny. And then you have the on-demandos. We use on 24. Um, but we decided to do what we call a Flash videos, where we just literally did these three-minute videos of, like, one specific thing that you would really care about. So um, group sales or um, ticketing administration or membership retention and just showed how in the solution you can do that. So more of, like, a pain point um, scenario. But those people will watch, like, three of those videos in a row. And each one of them are 25 points. They reach 75. We know there's a warm body. So um, so rethinking, okay, how can I slice this down a little bit more? And how can I make it maybe interactive? Maybe I want to use a Snap app and guide people through a guided tour instead of showing them a video. I think you just like, it's not a one and done. It's like, yeah. how can I slice it even more and get more savvy and, and more yeah. digestible content? So, Nick,
0: do you have any examples of how you're? building these Netflix models, what, what are you guys doing?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, working on the webinar program, you know, and if you, all of you don't know out there, the, the tools like On24, they allow so many bells and whistles to keep engagement when they're actually on, inside the platform. You know, there's polling questions, there's surveys afterwards that really take in more of this data that you just weren't getting before. Um, so yeah, what, what we started to do is, um, we actually started to see a, like a slow decline in our attendance rate. So we're at about 35%, which is about industry standard, but numbers are starting to go down, but registration was staying pretty consistent. So we knew it wasn't a content problem. It, it seemed like we just couldn't get people to actually keep coming to and watching the live dates. But what we saw on the back end was actually that on-demand numbers were actually growing mm-hmm. and almost the same, or even at some instances, surpassing the live. So. We decided to, you know, take some of the existing webinars that we had on demand, scrap the Q and A, and really just like refocus that. Put an email campaign, do a lot of engage, uh, you know, campaigning around those. And what we saw is so that 30% was turning into like a 90% of people registering and then going and watching it. And I think a big reason why is because when you have them and you hook them and, and they come in on your site and register, they are interested right then, not three weeks from now like we were doing before, like promoting like a live date in the future. Um, so it was a really successful program that we were doing. Um, and then we were doing surveys afterwards, asking them how do they like this format versus, so it wasn't just the straight registered, attended numbers, it's more of that data that says, we like this, we didn't like this. And uh, luckily, the results were pretty positive for that too.
1: I would love to add on to that. So one of the tactics I do to get people to register for my webinars is, I know you don't have the time to spend an hour on a webinar. So I always have this cute little PS if you can't make it, don't worry. Still register, and we'll send you the on-demand recording. My on-demand views go up way higher than the actual attendance. I always tell the um, the host, like, don't worry if we don't get big attendance. I guarantee we'll get the on-demand attendance. And we do. And then I take it, and I put it up on my hub, and then, you know, I'm able to use it afterwards. And it's not a one-and-done webinar. It's something that I can scrub out the Q&A if it doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. or I can edit it down if I want to, too. So, um, so yeah, I... I I definitely.
0: I've noted. We talked about this earlier. You're you're taking a lot of your content at webinars and other types of content. Thanks for the plug, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and you're 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 taking those and you're editing them down into smaller bite-sized chunks. Yeah. And then yeah. you're promoting. Do, do you put them in your your content portal? How mm-hmm. do you promote those out?
1: Yeah. So I put them in my content portal. Um, sometimes. So I always do the autoresponder from On24 after somebody does a webinar. So, but then I might give it like a few days and like do a really nice crafty email to those who. Um, didn't register but did not attend and did not watch the on-demand. Um, and at that point in time, it's probably packaged on my hub. I've maybe removed the outdated intro. Um, I might have removed some of the, the awkwardness um, in the end and maybe some of the ums. Like, I really do tighten it up a bit before I put it on my hub. Um, and then I can leverage that at any point in time. It starts to become a recommended piece of content right. as well. Right. Um, so, And then the other thing that I do on my hub is since everything is mostly gated, Everything has an autoresponder, so there's always that. What next step? Um, so you watched my rec- on-demand recording. I'm going to send you a thank you for watching this recording. Um, you may also like, uh, which just kind of gets them to continue give like continue to binge. Oh, I might like that, and so take that next step, that next piece right, of action. Right. So mm-hmm.
0: uh, one thing we're seeing a lot of is that uh, a, a lot of a lot of our customers are actually building content portals that are just unique to certain types of content. Um, I think that when, you, when, you, when you're thinking about the Netflix model, one of the things the Netflix model is doing is it's kind of exploding our resource centers. Um, how many of you have a traditional web resource center on your website where you have like everything all together? Right, a fair amount, but a lot of you are advancing. Uh, I think that we need to start putting together little gateways or hubs or portals with very specific content for every single page that somebody goes to. Or maybe it's just a few objects on a page. Um, You know, it's it's very interesting because I'm seeing two different models. There is the portal model where maybe you've got just some relevant video content, maybe some webinar content, maybe some some written content. Um, And then I'm also seeing other models where you're serving up a piece of content with maybe just some recommended content, and it's an individual content experience with whatever you think the next logical piece of content or pieces of content. I was just at Lookbook looking at their demo. They're doing stuff like that. There's a lot of great technologies that are, that are offering up services like that, and I think that that kind of content aggregation is sort of where we're moving to. So anywhere anybody goes on a website or a landing page, they're getting what we think they need as mm-hmm. opposed to getting, like, here's all of this stuff. Yeah,
1: and, and it doesn't have to be what I think they need. It can be AI driven as well. So um, so in my hub we have Bombora data that we're able to, I'm able to set up recommendations. Do I want to recommend stuff from the stream or do I want to let Bombora do the work? And so I'm actually testing that right out right now. It's it's working really well. And it is something that we're able to carry into our landing pages and into our website as mm-hmm. well. So pop-up recommendations based on your AI data is is really where I'm going. So So
0: lightning round, something Mm -hmm. I know that's really sort of a big deal to everybody here. Does all of this change our gating strategy? (laughs)
1: No, you still want to gate, but in the right content experience, you're giving a cookie, and so you only give your information once, and then you're free to binge, and you really don't know. we cl- I mean, we're totally collecting data on you, but you really don't feel like, oh my God, I'm entering this form every single time. So, um, so you so, gate everything? Not everything. Um, I a certain thought leadership, I don't gate. I want to hook people in. I want you to come to my hub and experience what Blackboard has to offer. So obviously, articles I don't gate, tip sheets I don't gate, some infographics I don't gate. But then if you're gonna. Watch a video, download a white paper or an ebook or anything that's product-driven. I, I want to tag you, mm-hmm. so I want to get some points.
3: Yeah, and, and we gate mostly everything, also, but we we do have that cookie, so we know when when they come back onto our website if they've downloaded something before. Everything's already filled out. It's it's not starting fresh and getting that information back in. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, gating is interesting, though, too, because, I mean, we'll, we'll sometimes take our webinar content, too, and put it on things like YouTube and Bright Talk And, you know, we lose that tracking. But at some point, there is there does need to be some awareness and, and more of that lighter, like, not bombarding with the marketing activity. At the end of the day, if someone wants to reach out and they're actually interested in talking to a sales rep and they see it on YouTube versus something that we have hosted, it's still a win. Um, I know it's not exactly tied in all the way through, but...
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I so I was on a panel just last week about whether to gate or not. One of the things I've noticed is that there's all these companies that are not all, but, but that famously, you know, are announced. They threw open the gates to all their content, and they're having amazing experiences and incredible success. And we look at them as these big champions. Um, and yet, so many of us haven't done that model. And I've looked at some of those companies. What's interesting is what they're really doing is they're just not gating their written content. Um, in fact, they are engaging their webinar content, they're engaging a lot of their video stuff, a lot of their demos. I think where we're moving to is the, the a lot of the traditional content is looked at as a leader to a more engagement driven experience right what you ultimately want to do is you want to engage with people you want to have a conversation with them so uh, you know maybe you've got a dynamic landing page or a campaign page or a virtual event or webinar whatever it is Mm -hmm. you want to get them to that you have to gate that because they're interacting with you you can learn about them the white paper the data sheet there's never really to learn. even the small video Better to let them have it to get them to more content,
3: right?
1: Yeah, yeah I agree.
3: And the well, one cool thing that we were doing with the webinars is, and a big reason why people fight me all the time on this is they want the idea of the live Q&A. Yeah. They think it's so huge. So I, I'm actually a big advocate, you know, against that because, I mean, how many times have you been on something you ask a question, they answer it, and then the conversation's done? We actually have the ability on these on-demand webinars that we're running that someone can actually ask a question and it goes to an alias, which is our lead dev team. So it gets them out of the actual platform and into someone's inbox to start that one on one conversation, which is, in my opinion, a million times more valuable than answering a question with 500 other people on there, than they're just grasping for straws. See, I like questions. both.
0: I don't know. I, I, I will differ only in the sense that I love the live experience and I love answering questions and those questions can still go to the dev team. Yeah. Um, but uh, an interesting statistic. Uh, we did a a benchmarks report of over like 16,000 events and 33% of all webinar attendees last year viewed on demand. They did not view live. That number is going up. Um, so this reality that you're talking about that we, we discussed this yesterday, and I'm like, oh, man, yeah. I got to rethink. I mean, I, I think it's happening. Uh, people are, you know, while we want to have these engagement-driven experiences, they can still be engagement-driven, right? You can still ask a question. You yeah. can still download a piece of content. You can still, uh, you know, link to CTA. Um, but people are going to take in that content when they want to take it in. Right. Um, all right. So we're, we're, we're running short on time. I just want to ask a couple of really quick key questions here. Um, You know, one of the things about Netflix is that uh, it's—you know—they're collecting data all the time, right? Netflix knows me a little too well. (laughs) It—it disturbs me. Like they're—they're always suggesting a show, and I—I feel pretty confident I'm going to like it. They've let me down a few times. I'm not going to tell you which show. (laughs) Um, But uh, you know, but ultimately this gets to what we're doing, and uh, you know, collecting data and being able to predict and suggest. Uh, is really what this is all about. So how are you using data to, to sort of drive these content programs?
1: Yeah, so I think um, one way is obviously my campaign. So a good example would be on my hub. Uh, peer-to-peer fundraising isn't a huge uh, space in my market, but I still have resources on it. I know who's accessed it. So I had like 210 people that actually played with my resources. So I decided, you know what? Instead of trying to segment by my Salesforce data, why don't I just grab those 210 people that actually engaged with um these pieces and invite them to my um, webinar thought leadership series. I ended up seeing over 50% um, open and click through rates and 30% click rates. Like, it was obvious that I need to start doing more of this. So that's one example of um, how I'm using engagement to then, you know, push them on another path to watch a webinar and attend and um, and get some registrations and some new leads.
3: Yeah, and I think real redhat.com, our, our page, I mean, any time you go on to one of the product-specific pages, you're getting suggested content when you go on there. So, um, is it, it
0: based on what, though? What it's, how, it's,
3: it's cookied, and then, like, as, you know, for example, we know you've been to webinars before. You'll probably get more of the webinar content based off the data that we have. So
0: you've got a set of rules based on who they are. Exactly. And that determines yeah. what content is served mm-hmm.
3: up. And then, you know, just the data side. I mean, data is... Everything I know it's probably pretty cliche, but you know, it, it gives the ammo, you know, that I can go back to and say the 30 to 90% conversion rate is huge. So that was a, a huge piece for me to go back and say we should start doing more of these on demand. But then also talking to like the lead dev team and we're, and we're taking in numbers like what we call uh, sales qualified opportunities and see those numbers grow because when they're calling out on these leads, it's no longer hey, we saw you registered, why couldn't you attend? It's actually talking about what was the, ad, the, the content in there and how do we lead them to the next point and right. uh, continue that conversation. Yeah, I, I
0: think what I'm seeing is, is that people are, um, they're focusing on the data that they're getting from engagement more than the small signals that we get in terms of individual, like you know, we, we've got AI now and predictive analytics and all these things that are giving us these tiny little signals um, and we can aggregate those. Those signals can help us get to a moment of engagement. Right. It's the engagement data that ultimately is going to help us convert people. Um, all right, so uh, real quick, any, any recommendations for, for people that want to sort of embrace the Netflix model Um, You know, whether you have a large budget or maybe a small budget, uh, what, what can people do to get that started?
1: So I'm going to call this the what's next effect. Yeah. So you know, okay, you might not have a resource hub, but you're gating something. And so, what's the autoresponder that you're going to send them to then get them to do the next thing and then the next thing? So, um, I come from an e-commerce background before I went into strictly to B2B nonprofit software. So I actually treat my resources like my products. And so, um, you know, I want to make sure that if somebody is adding something to their cart and they didn't necessarily buy, well, I want to remind them of that, and I also want to um, give in recommendations of things that can go with it. Um, so, so yeah, I think the what's
3: next effect. Would
0: the work. what's next effect. I yeah. like that. Nick.
3: <laughs> sorry, repeat that question so, one so more time.
0: Just last recommendations for oh, building oh yeah, a model like this.
3: Yeah, so, um, you know, I've been to a lot of conferences now, and I've sat, sat in the audience and listened to, you know, folks with huge marketing budgets doing all this incredible stuff, and You know, it's demoralizing going back and realizing, you know, we might not be able to do that. But I think one thing we could say as marketers in general, there's always content already. We have too much content out there. So how do we repurpose what's already existing to do some testing and taking that content that is out there and, you know, whether it's a white paper that we turn into a webinar or vice versa? You know, take what already exists out there and start doing your testing, start looking at your data from there, and then you're actually gonna be able to make some decisions based off of that. So um, I would say that would be the next steps. You know, don't recreate the wheel, take what's already out there and, and repurpose it somehow. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great, okay, um, before we let everybody go, you're, you're stuck in a hotel room for an entire weekend. You can have Netflix or Amazon Prime. What are you going with? Oh, Netflix, I Netflix. Think. Netflix. Yeah. Netflix, what about all of you? How many go Netflix? Yeah. Amazon Prime? I love Amazon Prime. Really? <laughs> There's so much good content on Amazon Prime. Anyway, okay. Uh, well, I hope this has been useful for all of you. Thank you guys so very Absolutely. much. Thank, Thank you. you all. We appreciate yeah. it. Thanks.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. To receive future episodes, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And if you're hungry for more B2B best practices, join us at the 2020 B2B Marketing Exchange coming to Scottsdale, Arizona from February 24th to 26th. You'll have access to more than hundred sessions focused on content marketing, demand gen, ABM, and so much more. Save 25% on your pass by using discount code B2BPOD. That's B2B P-O-D. We hope to see you there.